When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Corpus coming in, gold in a world record. The birth of a legend. 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. It's a world's record. Test cricket in England for Shane Warne. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. To this is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund. Hello and great to have you with us on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to our great friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Sam Edmund here to celebrate the sporting life and times of one of Australia basketball's most iconic figures. He's a six-time NBL champion, a six-time coach of the year, and still at the age of 66 at the top of his game in China. Brian Gorshin, welcome. Thank you very much. Your storied basketball career, Brian, obviously has strong ties to us here in Australia, but that famous voice of yours has its roots in California, doesn't it? Correct. Yeah, grew up in grew up in California and uh, played basketball from the time I was very small because my father was a basketball coach and really grew up, you know, going to games when I from the time I was, you know, eight, nine, ten years old and sitting in the back seat of my dad's car. And, uh, you know, going to the game with him, coming home from the game with him, living every play, and uh, eventually played for the team and had a, had a very good career and uh, got a scholarship to Pepperdine University, which was in Southern California as well, a Division One school, and, uh, you know, played college ball, played uh, college ball there for five years. It was on a team with you know, Dennis Johnson, the, the freckled-faced African-American that played with Larry Bird and McHale and Parrish and that great team, who Bird refers to as, you know, the greatest player ever played with. He was on uh, my team my senior year. We went to the Sweet 16 and lost to the UCLA Bruins. And uh, that was in, you know, April, May, and, or April, and then in June, uh, I got an opportunity to come to Australia. Yours is a fascinating upbringing, Brian. So you were born in Glendale, which is obviously a stone's throw from downtown Los Angeles. You were not even a teenager when the Watts riots took place. And I bring that up because your old man, Ed, he was known to take detours, wasn't he, and drive you through that neighborhood occasionally. My father was, you know, uh, Armenian, and uh, his father was an immigrant that came across. And my dad was brought up in, in downtown L.A. and was a serviceman. And my grandparents were really the only um, white people 
um, in in that area down in 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 Inglewood, just outside of Watts, um, by you know the forum where the Lakers used to play, and that's where my father was was brought up, and uh, it became a a, a fairly rough area, and we were, we were based in the mountains. Our area was called Lily White Glendale. From the time from the time I I I started school, elementary school, all the way through, we never had an African American player, and we were horrible at that time during those years in all sports except for basketball. My dad ran an unbelievable program, and. Uh, you know, it, it all started, you know, when you went to high school, you know, he had a, in, you're trying out for the team and you go downstairs in the basement below the gym and he shaved everybody's head and put me on a bus and drove you, everybody got in the bus, he drove everybody down to Watts at about nine o'clock in the morning. We just, no one knew what was going on. We just sat in the bus and get there and we looked and there's these African-American kids running up and down and playing basketball. And we sat there for about two hours, and I remember I was just in amazement. It was just they were just running up and down, playing ball, calling their own fouls. It, it was relentless. It was it was physical. It was you know they were playing to win, and uh, shirts and skins and you know hot sun, and you're sitting there for about two and a half hours, and then he put turned the van turned the bus around and took everybody to Disneyland. We went to Disneyland and had the had an um, got on all the rides, had a great time, put us back in the bus, and we go, where are we going? And he drew, drove back to the park, and he parked in front of the park, and those kids were still playing, and it was about 6, 7 o'clock at night. Jeez. And uh, he looked at everybody in the bus, and he said, well, now, that's what you got to beat if you want to be good. If you want to be a part of this team, that's what we're going against. That's what we're preparing for, and we're going to work and he said, if you don't, everybody's had a good time. I took you to Disneyland. You had a, had a great day, no hard feelings, off the bus, bye-bye. And that was what, the, what our high school program and how I was indoctrinated in the game. Jeez, it doesn't get more chalk and cheese, does it, Brian, than the teacup ride to downtown Watts? Uh, you don't get more difference than that. No, I mean, and we ended up, you know, we, uh, my senior in high school, we, we, we'd go and play. They had the... From the Watts riots, they had a tournament, uh, the Watts Summer Games, and we played in that every year and played against all the top teams from California then, the team Compton, you know, Dorsey High School, all the top teams. And my senior year, we went 29-1, and and we were in the top five, not in the state. We were rated one of the top five high school teams in the nation and uh, lost the last game to the number one team in the nation, a team called Bourbon Day. It was out of Watts. It was a private school and had, had just nothing but great players. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I fell in love with the game through that process. It was all I did. Um, go to the practices with my dad, uh, go to school with him in the morning, um, talk about the games at night, um, you know, all, all the way through my high school, all the way through elementary school. I mean, I, I just, I just played and loved in, in, you know, basketball was my passion. You mentioned Pepperdine University, obviously there in Malibu. Now you alluded to this, the waves made the sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament. I think for just the second time in the school's history in your final year, your senior year of college, how special was that? 
really special. And I, I, you know, um, you go back to those times. It was uh, early the the Pepperdine University. I know I keep using the name Watts, but the the team was in the university was in Watts. And when I got recruited, they they took me to the uh, they were they blew up the side of the mountain and started the building of Pepperdine University. In my first year, I, I was actually in downtown LA, Watts, at Pepperdine. And the following year, we moved to Malibu Beach. And uh, obviously, that changed the whole structure of mm. uh, the team. You know, it, it wasn't as difficult to recruit. And we started getting some great players there. But my senior year, that year that we went to the Sweet 16, the number one team in the nation was University of Southern, uh, San Francisco that had Bill Cartwright, the famous player that was referred to a lot in the in the last dance that was with the Chicago Bulls and ended up a coaching staff. But he was going to be, you know, eventually the number one pick uh number one big man, uh, number one team. They were on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And back then, you had to win your league. You had to win it to go to the tournament. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, you finish second, you're out. Not like now. There's 64 teams. It was one team, one team only for your league. And we beat them at USF. And we have to win our last two games on the road. We have to beat Santa Clara at Santa Clara, and then we have to go to USF and beat USF at USF. Both games, Dennis Johnson, the famous player I told you about, fouled out. And in both games, I ended up, which was, you know, I was a backup guard that came off the bench and, you know, played 15 or 20 minutes a game. And uh, I came in in both of those games and got fouled at the end. They had to foul me and put me in the free throw line. And I shot free throws with, you know, a second left and were up one. And in both games, I made those free throws uh, that, that, was, that got us to the tournament. And so I was, you know, I had a, you know, I was a player that averaged four or five points a game, but I was kind of the hero of that weekend that got us to the tournament. So it was a great way to finish my college basketball career. Great stuff, and uh, I don't know if you're a cult figure or not, but geez, Brian, you had a good thick mop of hair on the bonds as well. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. I don't know if it was uh, the beer here I got involved in, or the change of lifestyle, or whatever. But I did when I was on the mop, and uh, it was funny that uh, that kind of originated. I always had a shaved head. There was a real thing with the discipline when you were in college you know everybody you know the Beatles the Rolling Stones everybody wanted it you weren't allowed to you know when you played you had to keep your hair you know above your ear you had to keep everything short and we recruited uh, a guy named Marco Sugete who ended up being on that team and he ended up being first team all league he was Brazilian and he had hair down to the middle of his back so all the rules we loved this guy, you know, he'd, he'd go to the, you know, the, you weren't allowed to drink. You weren't allowed to do anything. You, you we, it was a Christian university and he would, you know, smoke cigarettes during the breaks and, uh, you know, like walk around with a fag in his hand on the road. He'd go to bars and have a beer and he had hair down to his shoulders. So everybody on the team loved him and he was a great player. So it kind of put the coaches in a, in a, in a difficult situation. Well, he's got long hair. Well, you know, that's the way it's going to be. So most of the players like myself 
great, Marcos. We'll we'll go the same way, and we let it go. I love it. So Marcos went from Brazil to the States. You went from the States to Australia. Now, 1976, you graduate from Pepperdine University, obviously, and then you just flip the script, Brian. You move all the way down here to Australia. How on earth did that come about? I look back and sometimes you think that this stuff really happened. But my in college, the first game during that time, every year you got a was called a, you know, a uh, like it was a, a game that didn't count on your on your record. You could play um, anybody that wasn't university. So um, we would play a foreign team every year. My senior year, um, we ended up playing the, a team from Australia, and uh, they came over. And I'll never forget it. They they walked into the gym and they all had those UGG boots. They all had long hair. They, you know. Um, after the game was over, we beat them pretty good. And they were billed as the national team, but they weren't the national team. They were a club team from um, Newcastle, I found out later after I got back to or after I got to Australia. And uh, <clears throat> we went to the pizza place, the, the local pizza parlor. We would always go after the game with the opposition and kind of share a meal and we'd go our way and they'd go their way. And I'll never they went there and they were all drinking, you know, beer and, you know, having a good time with the cheerleaders. And I looked and I remember a couple of our guys saying, man, I want to be on their team. <laughs> so it, it was, it left an impression. They could speak English, you know, they were all having fun. Um, uh, they lost the game, but the game was over. And when the game was over, they were just having a great time. And they, they were great guys interacted real well, load of fun after the game was over. And the coach said to me, you know, um, if you're ever interested in coming to Australia, when this, you know, when your career finishes, um, uh, you know, we'd be interested. So the season finished and I went to a going away party for one of my friends. And that, that uh, I remembered it, but I wasn't thinking about it at the time, but the, his, on his going away party, there was a guy there as well that had just done clinics in Australia. And he tapped me and he said, hey, listen, if I had a son, I just came back from Australia, I would send him there. He goes, it's, it's, it's the greatest place on earth. I had the time of my life. So he gave me Lindsey Gaze's phone number. And, uh, you know, he said, I'll call him. You follow up on it. And he did. And I followed up on it. And uh, January, this was June um, 1976, and in January 1977, Lindsay picked me up at the airport. Jeez, but the offer, Brian, tell me if I've got this right, the offer to play here in Australia came with no money attached. Is that correct? Correct. The, so it, it, was, it was an interesting time. The, the situation was, I mean, I, was, I, I graduated, I had a teaching degree, and uh, he said, hey, you can come over here and do exactly what you're doing over there. And he goes, it's a great place. You can play basketball professionally. And, uh, you know, we'll take care of your living and your accommodation. And back then when you came over, they were bringing teachers over to Australia at that time. And you weren't playing your first two years, you weren't playing paying tax. So I would be making more money. I would be doing the profession that I was going to do in the United States. Plus I got to go to a country like Australia and I got to play basketball. And uh, at that time, um, when I got here, all the Americans were, were, were 
very similar. And a lot of those guys that I played with back then or during those early years are still here. It's a, in, you know, you, you had same type of people, kind of guys that, they're, they're, you know, um, to do that, it's different than the days today of people that, you know, guys that come over and they're hired guns, you know, pay me this and I'll come over and do my job and then I'll see you later. This was a, a life experience and a lot of guys um, that came over at that time were like me and the life experience here was so, so special and so nice that most, a good percentage stayed. Before we get to the break, Brian, what was Melbourne like in the 1970s? And I can only imagine that Southern Californian accent of yours must have opened a few doors. The world was a bigger place back then. It was good in some ways. <laughs> you know, you'd always say you'd, you'd go to the bars and tell the girl, you where are you from? I'm from Hollywood. <laughs> and uh, born in Hollywood, you know, California. And uh, you had the accent. And that was an in. That was fun. But also, you know, I was, uh, uh, this accent, there wasn't a lot of us around. And uh, uh, more time than not, um, you know, you'd go out and I, I, I got, you know, I, I got popped a few times as well. So uh, down times as well. But, you know, that period of time for me, and I think, you know, that the best, my dad came over, who I described to you, and uh, I took him to the airport after his visit. And uh, we're at the airport, and he hugs me as he's getting on the plane, and he whispers in my ear, he goes, I know now why you stayed. And then he starts walking around, and he turns, and he looks at me, and he goes, it's America without the shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I, I, I just start, I started laughing, and I thought about it, and it's, you know, as, as an American coming over here, you know, I didn't really see poverty. I didn't see um, violence like that. You know, it was, it, it was like, you know, the days when my dad was young, when my dad was brought up. There were, you know, it was just pure, innocent. And it was. It was, for an American, you, you didn't have to adjust. You didn't have to adapt. It was, it was very much like America. But a lot of the things that, that were issues there... You just weren't dealing with here. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We've just lifted the lid on the amazing career of Brian Gorgian. Next, the Melbourne Tigers and the NBL. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Welcome back. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. We're chatting with basketball icon Brian Gorgian. Well, Brian, basketball, the glittering career with the Melbourne Tigers here in Melbourne in the 70s. It included a stint as captain, and in 1984, you led the club in its first season in the NBL. Yeah, I mean, it was... a. Uh, uh... That, that was a great year and a, and a lot of fun, but there, there sure was a long process to get to that point and uh, a fun one. You know, um, coming to Australia at that time, it, it was really um, the state league, you know, in, in, in the teams in Victoria. And then when the, when, when the season finished, the top teams from each territory, each state went and played in a huge tournament 
like they do in college basketball. And the Victorian competition was the best competition. I had no idea. But when I came here, that was obvious, you know, and everybody, it was the strongest and probably still is the strongest at, at basketball. And a huge reason for it, you know, was Lindsey Gates. Um, not, I mean, I can say so, so many things, but one I think that's underestimated is, is Lindsey had, had an unbelievable, um, was unbelievably smart and uh, knew um, how to deal with the government and, and, and how to operate. And he is really responsible for all of these basketball stadiums in the building of all basketball stadiums. And that to me is, is why basketball is so big and so, you know, great in Victoria. When you go to, you know, I coached in Sydney, I've been to Brisbane and worked up there for a bit, you know, um, there, there's nothing like this here. You've got, you know, all of these um, places with not only schools, um, clubs, with all these huge, fantastic facilities and and one you know i think that's a credit to lindsey gates and for me when i came over i was you know um not only playing for he was he was running victorian basketball he was the national coach and he was clearly the best basketball mind um in australia so um i got an opportunity which which is very rare coming from america to go to a place and learn. And uh, I thought Lindsay was an unbelievably knowledgeable offensive basketball coach. And uh, I learned so much from him over that eight years offensively, like how to play without the ball in my hand, um, how to move without the ball, uh, you know, what your reads were offensively, what your looks were, um, how to play off an on-ball screen, um, so many things that, you know, when I was in college or when I was in high school, to get the ball to the big man and protect the basket. And this, I was heavily involved in the offense. And, uh, you know, he, he had an environment where um, it was family. You know, you came and you trained, you know, a couple days a week. You played your game. Every, all the teams got together after the game was over and had the party pies and a, and a beer together. It, it was it was enjoyable. It was uh, the, for me the thing that really hit me was it was competitive and tough. But when the ball, I was with all those things I've just discussed. And then as far as the other players and the other teams after the game was over, you know everybody was friends. You had a good time. It was it was really it, it really I really enjoyed my basketball. I really enjoyed playing. It is amazing to think that all those years ago, Lindsay picks you up from the airport, Brian, and now the only two men to coach six hundred NBL games. It's it's quite amazing. As well as Lindsay, though, did you learn from any other sports in your playing days, either tactically or strategically or or motivationally? Well, I mean, now if you move from me as a player and you move to me as a coach, um, that's a whole different, <laughs> now we go into a different box. And, and really, um, Lindsay and, and Andrew, and Andrew, my, my last year of playing, Andrew's first year of um, uh, playing as an NBL player, being an NBL player, that was his first year. And I'd grown up, or my, I spent my eight years watching Andrew on the backcourt shooting, 
when I first arrived when he was 12, 13, 14 years old. Yeah. And uh, then by the time he was 15, he was training with us, practicing with us. And you're looking and you go, man, this kid is going to be special. And then when he played with us that first year in the NBL, I mean, you go back and look at his stats. He was he was youngest, probably youngest guy in the league, and he was our best player offensively. He, um, I'm sure he was, you know, in the 30s, averaging right then and there. And uh, he, he was such a, a, a tremendous player. And uh, you know, um, Lindsey, as I said, you know, being the being the coach and learning from him, and then getting the opportunity to you know, to have that year with Andrew. And then Lindsay was really the one that helped me get my first coaching job, which was Ballarat. Um, Lindsay, you know, I, I just got done playing and now what am I going to do? And I wanted to coach and Lindsay got me the job in Ballarat. I did very well there. So I get the East side Spectre job and, and that takes us to, you know, okay, well now if I want to be good at this thing, um, right across the street from me is public enemy number one. You've got the Melbourne Tigers. You've got the godfather of basketball. You've got the best player playing in it, his son. And that's what you got to beat if you're going to be any good. And one of the things when the NBL started, uh, the basketball people, we didn't have, we weren't sharing knowledge. We were, you know, I would go overseas and I would go to America and I would, I would do it. I went and did a two-week course before I came back and did my first year with the Spectres. And I remember the guy saying to me when I left, he goes, Australia is good at a sport. And whatever that sport is, crawl into it and learn from it because sport's sport. There's a lot to learn. And for me, what became my development and what we became good at was football, Australian rules football. And, um, so I crawled into, you know, Terry Wallace, David Wheaton, Parkin, Walls, uh, Paul Ruse. I, I, I went to practices. I went to games. Um, and I, uh, a lot of what they were doing is, you know, I applied to basketball. Uh, you know, strength training, we were the first ones to lift weights. We were the first ones to get into diet. We were the first ones to get in conditioning. And all of those things came from the football code. It's fascinating, isn't it? So you spend the three years at the Spectres, and then at the end of 91, Brian, obviously the Spectres merge with Southern Melbourne Saints, and the Southeast Melbourne Magic is born. You're appointed coach, and the success came instantly. You're playing at Albert Park, and the final of the, you know, the NBLs at Albert Park, and then in 1992, the Melbourne Tigers and the Magic are playing, they're sharing Rod Labor, a 17,000-seat stadium, and both of us are involved in the final. You know, our games were live on Channel 10. Sam McKinnon was Sonny Crust Brett, Andrew Gaze. All of these guys were faces of the city. We were on par. We were battling the football. It's never happened before or since. These two teams, the Magic and the Tigers, you have to have history. You know, we had, we had fight. We were complete opposites. They were the free-flowing, you know, offensive juggernaut, and we were the, the physical, defensive men in black. We were young and athletic, 
they were skilled. My personality and my style was completely opposite to Lindsay. I was up and down the sideline, you know, with a can of Coke in my hand, and Lindsay sat with his legs crossed. And I mean, you couldn't script it better. And by the time we got to 1992, I mean, you know, Lindsay and I were, I mean, we were, it was a battle. It was a war. He never, you know, he, he walked over before the start of the game and he put his arm around my shoulder and he pointed me, you know, to the crowd. There were 17,000 people there. And he said, I didn't think this would happen in my life, in your lifetime, let alone mine. That's how that first game started. And we sold that place out. I mean, we're getting 11,000, 12,000 people. Sydney was hot. David Stern passed out the, you know, the championship trophy and the most valuable player to Bruce Bolden. And, uh, you know, the, the game was an absolute, it, it was just what we, they were the scoring team and we were the defensive team. You know, Darren Perry snapped his Achilles tendon in the first game. They beat us in game one. We'd been the top team all season. We had to win two straight to win it. So um, it, it really was uh, that time. And the first one you can't reproduce for me. I mean, it was my first championship, really a must win for me. That time of basketball, I think it was at its pinnacle. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We'll get Brian Gorsh's recollections of a pretty volatile stint at the Victoria Titans next and his history-making appointment as coach of the Boomers. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. We're chatting, of course, with NBL coaching great Brian Gorge. And well, Brian... The good times came regular at the Magic. There was a heartbreaking 1988 grand final loss. And after that, you witnessed another merger. This time, the Magic merged with Crosstown rivals, the North Melbourne Giants, and the Victoria Titans were born. That's correct. The, the, the first one, you know, with the, with the Spectres and the, and the Saints, you, you, you kind of felt, you know, some, something was was happening. Victorian basketball, the, the basketball was growing, it was getting bigger, but there was so many teams in Melbourne and we were cutting each other's bread. And, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, I mean, I wasn't, when I came back and they're waiting, at, you know, the uh, people from the, the, the clubs are waiting for me. When I came back from, we came back from overseas and, you know, hey, we're going to, form a team called the Magic and we're merging the two teams. I wasn't in shock, but when the Magic stopped, I was in shock. We built that brand. We were doing things so well, and uh, I thought the club was so strong. All of that, I thought 92 was, was the start of it, but 96, we built that brand to that point, and that was a, a point of difference between us and a lot of the teams in the league. And I just thought, this thing's going to be the Lakers. This thing's going to be the Bulls. This thing's going to be something special for a long period of time. A lot of work had been, I can't tell you, to build that brand. And against, in a tough background of being in a city with the Gay family and Brad Key, and, and that was unbelievably difficult. 
and to get the news that you're emerging again just was honestly for me was was, was just kind of a slug in the guts. It was like, wow, I'm, I'm tough on everybody. And I think that the that the giant organization was 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 the same. The guys that come come across, they they were you know Brett Brown, the coach of the Philadelphia 76ers, was their head coach. Um, they had D Mac. They had the Glass House rocking and rolling a bit. I, I just thought it it, it, it was like a, a punch, and everybody wasn't everyone wasn't ready for it. And from the from the start to the finish, it it it, it was never like. Uh, the magic. Yeah, I mean, it was tumultuous, wasn't it? And tough, imagine, frustrating for you. You lose, lose the two grand final series early and then the club itself goes into administration in 2002 and it was sold to new owners, I think associated with the former North Melbourne Giants and they controversially fired you as a result. But talk about sliding doors moments, Brian, because it arguably led to your most successful time in the league here when you joined the Kings... You win three titles in four seasons at Sydney. In between those days, of course, living it up in Coogee and those walks to Bondi, mate. I was so entrenched in Melbourne. And, uh, uh, you know, I, you leave America and you come and it, I form my home here. And it, one thing about create bonding friendships uh, or as Australia's famous for, mates. And I, I, I grew to that point. You know, a mate's special. And I, I've, it's been explained to me in detail many times by, by good Australians, the difference between mates and a friend. Mates back you no matter what. And uh, you could be in the wrong. <laughs> and, uh, hey, you're my guy. I'm with you. And uh, that's special. I, I was comfortable. And I, and I had my mates. And I had uh, a lifestyle. And I had the basketball. And I, uh, I love Victoria. And... Uh, you know, when when the, the Titan thing happened, uh, I was with the Boomers. I was the national coach at the time. And I remember, you know, we're, we're traveling around and Anstey's saying to me, hey, this thing's going to go down. And, uh, you know, and I knew one of the owners that was coming in with the other. I go, God, if, if this goes down, I'm done. And uh, that's what happened. But what am I going to do next year? when this thing finishes, you know, my, you know, I'm, I'm at a stage in my life where earning is really important. I'm still in my forties. Brett Brown was sitting down and Brett Brown said to me a, a number of like in passing, he goes, I, I think you may get something, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at him and thinking, what are you talking about? I'm going to get something looking at the other team. Lindsay ain't going anywhere. You know, Brian, you know, I'm going through the team. I said, this. And then he said it again. And I remember, again, talking to my wife on the phone twice now, Brett Brownson. Then my wife goes, it may be the Kings. It may be his job. Thing. And about two days later, he, he came to me because, you know, he was assistant of the Boomers and just a tremendous guy and very valuable on my coaching staff. And he says to me, I'm, I'm going to have to let this go. I got a job with the Spurs. And I looked at him and I go, wow. <laughs> you know, that was, you know, nobody was doing that. I wasn't excited to leave Melbourne, um, as I told you before, but when I got there, um, when I got to Sydney, um, I was, like, uh, amazed. <laughs> One is the, the power of the brand and uh, the people that were behind the basketball. Two was the team, what I had there to work with. And three was I'm from California. I, it was like a, 
a nugget I didn't even know about. What was said to me from the Victoria Titans when when they towed the cars off my driveway and said, you're no longer coach, um, they said, the problem with you is you can't win the big one. So uh, um, I, I had a, a, a few little moments with, with, with the board. Um, I had some guys I was really close to, but there were some guys on that board um, that, you know, I had in my back pocket with a target saying, man, I'm, 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 I'm remembering your license plate because I'm going to go somewhere and kick some ass and I'm looking forward to playing you. And, uh, uh, I had, I had some, yeah, some, and I was, uh, to go there. Um, that was what was said to me out the door. And, uh, I did have a burning desire, um, when I went there as did, uh, the whole Kings organization led by Shane Hill. I mean, he was, I just walked into a guy that was completely determined and wanted to finish his year with a championship. And, uh, uh, it was a match that year made in heaven. It's an amazing st- uh, tale, Brian Gorgians. We're chatting to him on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral celebrating lives. After the break, Brian, the Boomers, maybe Ben Simmons, life in China, and what's still to achieve for a coach who has done it all. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Well, Brian Gorgian, he's taken us on a fair old trip down memory lane today, Brian. And I wanted to ask you about the Boomers. Obviously, it was history making your appointment, the first foreign-born coach to take the reins. How do you reflect on that time as head coach of the national team, he obviously took them to Athens 04 and, and Beijing 2008. I came and I played for the national coach. I was here for a long period of time, played and coached and knew what and had a full understanding of what the boomers meant to the country, to basketball, what an honor it was to be the coach. Sydney Olympics finished. Um, my name was was on the radar at that time because, you know, I'd, I'd done quite well. They appointed Phil Smythe the coach, and rightfully so. I mean, he was he played for the national team and was maybe one of the greatest point guard to, to play for the country and very smart and had won championships with Adelaide. And he took over the team. And a long story short, they lost to New Zealand, which was not, not acceptable. And... Uh, I was appointed coach, but I go back to this and I, it's, it's a real, as, as we take my time on, I think you have to look at the history a little bit. One is Phil and I aren't close in any form, but, and very competitive. And as we talked about the gazes and, and the battle there, you know, I had tremendous battles with, with Phil and with Adelaide and, and some of those um, games and some of those times down are the, the the toughest games, the biggest stories, the funniest stories, the hardest stories, the, the, the things I look back at was that period of time with the Gazes or against the Adelaide 36ers. And he beat us twice in a row. Just now when Phil took it over, um, I thought this, that the national team works in four-year cycles and that Sydney 
a lot of guys played too long because the Sydney Olympics were obviously <laughs> it's in Australia. So nobody, they all wanted to play in that. So what you ended up having was a, a, a virtual, a whole team leap. Bill was left with no experience, a group of guys that had never played international basketball, and you lose to New Zealand, which is unacceptable, but New Zealand go on to Indiana, finish in the top four. So they weren't chopped liver. Bill was hard done by for that, for that to take place. And so Athens was going to be a, a real battle, real battle. I have to start, when I started the national team, I, I think, I, I hope, I brought the, the standards that I had with my club team. I made a commitment to myself. I, I'm, not, I'm not changing. I'm going to do it the same way. I really tried to improve the team physically because I thought we could. Gaze, Brad Key, Shane, it, 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 how, how are you going to make this better? How, where are you going to go with this? So I tried to get the team in better shape. I tried to get the team better defensively. And I tried to bleed some young ones. And uh, I guess out of Athens or my, my time with the Boomers, the, the, the big name for me was Andrew Bogan. That came out of nowhere. And uh, in my time in basketball, people say, you know, who was the best? Was it Rob Rose? Was it that kid at 18 years old when he came and joined the national team? I couldn't believe it. And I couldn't believe what he was doing at the national level so quickly at, at, at that age. A big praise indeed. So I was ninth in Athens. It was an improvement seventh in Beijing 2008. Oh, Brian, I've been wanting to ask you for some time, did Beijing 2008 plant a seed in your mind about China because we lost you to China the next year, 2009, or were they completely unrelated, the reason you went to China to accept the coaching job there? That did have play a factor. I mean, going to China became something, you know, uh, the Kings went, we always went with the national team because being honest, these teams in basketball struggled financially. We all know, I mean, it's always been a battle and uh, you go there, they pay for everything and they're happy to have you and you can play as many games as you want. So I went over there with the national team all the time. You're getting 50 million, 70 million, 90 million viewers. I mean, uh, I was, uh, I'd gone there numerous times in coach. And obviously when we went over there, we, we played a standard of basketball and a, a, a level of basketball that they enjoyed. <laughs> and the team that I went with, that I eventually went to, I played against with the Kings and played against them three times, and the owner was keeping tabs of me while I was at the Olympics and while I was coaching the Kings and keeping a note of me because he, he, you know, when I became, I didn't know this at the time, but I found out, you know, he, as soon as I became available after the Titans, I got a phone call that led to, you know, me going to China. Brian, something that's so topical at the moment is um, The Last Dance, obviously the Michael Jordan documentary, which I'm sure you've seen from start to finish. Jerry Krause features heavily in it, the general manager. Have I got this right? Have you, back in uh, the day, spent a bit of time with Jerry? I had a great passage with, with Jerry. And, uh, you know, I was uh, the under-23 championships were taking place in Melbourne that year of The Last Dance when, you know, Pippen announced that he... He, he wasn't going to play even if the injury healed 
that year leading into that year, the under-23 championships were in uh, at the Glass House in Melbourne. And uh, I had Sam McKinnon and, uh, you know, uh, Frank Grimmick, uh, my assistant coach, Ian Stacker, my best friend, Bruce Palmer, uh, were coaching. And, and Chris had my major guys playing. And uh, I made my wife made sure I got a, a, a front row and center seat. And so I'm sitting there for the first game against Turkey, and I can see on my left just a sea of NBA scouts and assistant coaches because I'm I'm familiar with being an American. I'm familiar with a, a lot of those guys. Hi, Ron. Hi, Steve, how how you doing? And I go and I sit down, and they're all over there. And everybody, you can see Jerry Krause walk in right along the back of the the team seats and up my up the aisle, up my aisle. And I'm sitting on the second seat in. Jerry turns and he's sitting on the end seat right next to me. First game, nothing. Something happens and, and, and we say something and then a name comes up and then, you know, he figures out I'm, I'm, I, I coach and I know these guys. So he starts asking me questions. And then, you know, this thing goes for five or six days. By the fifth, sixth day, uh, I'm picking him up from his hotel I'm bringing him there. Afterwards, I'm taking him for dinner. We're having a meal together. Pick his brain. And, and, and just like I was saying from the football, I learned so much. I mean, basically, I had no idea what I was looking at. You know, why do you like him? Do you see at halftime, he's the last guy out. Do you see him at timeouts? He doesn't look at the coach in the eye. Do you see his feet are inverted? He's going to have bad knees. And all the way through this, I'm, I'm taking notes. And it really, honestly, it really helped me in my recruiting from that point. That was Jerry Krause's expertise. But as it finished, he said, you know, you can fly over, meet me in Phoenix, and then you can get on the Bulls plane, fly with the team to L.A., and we play the Lakers. And I know you're from L.A., and after the Laker game, you can bring your dad, watch the game, and after the Laker game, you can uh, uh, go back home. And I said, wow. So I fly to Phoenix. I go to the game. I'm sitting between Reinsdorf and Kraus. And at halftime of that game, unannounced to me, you know, Pippen has announced he's not, he's not, no matter what, he will no longer be a bull. And we walk. The game finishes. I'm walking with Kraus. He pulls me over to the side before we get to the locker room. and goes, Brian, um, this is really spinning bad. And you're standing next to public enemy number one. He goes, you don't want to get on this plane with me. He goes, stay another night at the hotel. You know, you can come and uh, come to my house next year and we'll have a, a meal and a good time together. And, you know, this will settle down But right now. And that was the, you know, that was the, I stayed an extra night, flew back home. But the following year, I did go to Chicago and uh, Luke Sencher was with the Bulls at the time. And I went there and I watched a couple trans, you know, deals and went to Jerry's house and had a nice meal. I know how it's interesting how he was portrayed, but he was honestly, he was a genius. And uh, you can always, with people, it's, it's how they treat you. And he was um, absolutely wonderful to me. Fascinating memories, aren't they, Brian? They've all been fascinating for me, and I need to thank you. I mean, and it's an amazing journey in basketball. It isn't over yet, mind you. You've given a lot to the game. Thankfully, a lot of that in our country, and we appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
Brian Gorgian there. And thanks for your time too. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We'll catch you next week to celebrate the life of another sporting icon. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.